Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. We all here play a little bit of music. Just tell me how important you think that is. When we grew up, um, we didn't have TV in our house, which opens up a lot of hours. So we were lucky enough to be enriched by music. Uh, my dad was in a band. We had all the instruments set up in our living room. Once the, you finish with the stuff in the tournament, you go back to your hotels. Do you actually spend time as well together or you try to do your own stuff? I think we're happiest when we're together because we have such a close bond. I think twins have this unique um, closeness that normal siblings don't have. Let's talk about the mixed doubles here for a little bit. And I have a question. You won 11 Grand Slam titles all together combined. You never played with me. I never got asked. I got beat by you a lot though. I remember uh, my first Grand Slam final was against you. I think you're probably 17. All right, let's go for this. Well, guys, last time we saw each other was um, San Diego, right? A couple of months ago. Yeah. Well, who would have thought we would be in this situation right now? But it seems like you've both been qu- quite busy, right? Um, what oh, yeah. have you been up to lately? It's been a busy time for me. I had a baby a month ago. So that's been uh, really exciting. A little baby boy. And with some Slovakian roots. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to be spending some time in Slovakia. Come see the grandma uh, in Trinsen. Come and see me. Yeah, and, and we can hang out. But yeah, it's been it's been fun. Yeah, a lot of diaper changes, late nights, but yeah, it's been good. Welcome. Then, that is amazing news. Yeah. Oh. I actually, after Indian Wells, I got stuck in California because uh, I got a little sick. My wife got a little sick. So we kind of quarantined in a hotel. Um, we got tested. It was negative, but um, we didn't want to travel. So we stayed next to Mike at an Airbnb for 10 weeks. Uh, fortunately, we got to see the birth of his first child, which was awesome. Got to spend time with our grandparents, my, our folks who we haven't seen much over the last 23 years, you know, just days here and there. So that was nice. I don't think we'll probably ever get to do that again, especially me being out in Miami. So it was a blessing in disguise for us. Was that probably the most wonderful thing, being able to not to travel and spending quality time with your families? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. we look at this as a negative. Um, and I, I know Mike feels the same way. He, we were going to play Houston. That was the week before the birth of his baby. And he got to spend that time with Nadia and really help her and support her during um, a, time, a time of anxiety. You know, the first baby's uh, not, not easy. Uh, but they made it look easy. But Mike was there to help her out, which was nice. Yeah. Mike, how yeah. much has your life changed over the last couple of months? And how much sleep have you been really getting? It's been a, a total change. I've actually been getting decent sleep because Nadia's got a breastfeed at night. So I can go into the other room. But I come in in the morning and I take about three or four hours in the morning and let her take a nap. But, um, yeah, it's, it's not about me anymore. It's, it's about the baby. I, I can see how hard it was for Bob uh, having three kids on the road and trying to uh, play tennis. It's it's a full time job when you have a baby, you know. It's it's but it's it's the best experience in the world. Uh, I was there during the birth. She did an all natural birth, which was um, you got to give her credit. She she took some pain because most people like to drug up these days, but she she did it all natural, the Slovakian way. I was just going to say it's the Slo Slovakian power. So uh, yeah. send my best to Nadia as well and my congrats. Uh, talking about giving credit, how about the kitchen and cooking skills? Uh, how much more credit are you giving your wives now realizing that maybe not that easy, right? No, it's, it's not. Um, I stepped it up a little bit. I've learned how to use all the pots and the pans and some spices and, you know, baking cookies and muffins. My job's been breakfast in the morning, so I've been getting up early. Uh, I've been making Michelle a coffee and been getting the breakfast started, whether it's pancakes or, or eggs. Um, and I know Mike's been been making yeah. almost three meals a day uh, for Nadia. So he's his game's a little sharper than mine, but I'm a good breakfast guy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been fun, though. We're I've been kind of thrown into the fire. And uh, it's kind of like I had to step up or no one eats because Nadia is so busy with the baby that I've uh, looked on YouTube. I've, I've found a lot of recipes and now I'm baking, I'm making steak, I'm making everything, you know, from from breakfast, lunch, dinner. So it's it's been good. And uh, Bob, you guys did a good little cooking video on Instagram. That was that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. We I think we made a Spanish tortilla. I, I was watching that and it made me want to try one right away. I haven't had the time for it, but I will. Thanks to you guys. All right. <laughs> okay. Let's go from kitchen now to what we see behind you. There's a few guitars, piano. We all yeah. here play a little bit of music. Just tell me how important you think that is. Um, and the benefit we had when we were growing up that our parents were all about, you know, dif doing different things, not only having to focus on sports and how much you want to apply that to your kids as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, Go ahead. When we, when we grew up, um, we didn't have TV in our house, which opens up a lot of hours. Um, you know, my kids, we have tablets, we have TV, streaming. There's a lot of hours chewed up by um, kind of mindless activities. So we were lucky enough to be enriched by music. Uh, my dad was in a band. We had all the instruments set up in our living room. We would play tennis, come home instead of watching TV, which we didn't have. We'd do our homework and then play music. Uh, Mike and I have really fallen in love with it. We've probably spent more hours playing music than we have tennis, which is which is wild. Not going to claim to be a better musician than a tennis player, but you know it's something I'm doing right now. Uh, my daughter loves it. She's playing a lot of Taylor Swift songs. 
my little boy's playing drums. He's six years old. Um, so as a family, it's been great to come together. My mom plays bass. My dad plays everything. Out in California, we were playing four hours a day as a family. Uh, it was great to share that time together. I know Mike, uh, he jams on his guitar all day long. He's going to want to get little baby Jake. And I know, Danny, you're, you're a classical pianist. Um, you grew up with that. Um, I'm not formally trained. I've learned most of my stuff on YouTube and just been listening to songs and trying to figure them out. I would love to go the, the route you, you went, you know, learn how to read, learn more technique. But right now, I'm just a jammer. Yeah, it's, it's fun. We, uh, it's a big part of our life. It's a great balance because we always bring our instruments on the road. So Bob and I are jamming in hotel rooms and it's a great outlet for stress because you can be at the courts all day worried about your matches and your practice. You come back to your room, you kind of unplug and you plug in the instruments. And it's been great for Bob and I because we have this communication in music and a lot of times it carries onto the courts. And um, our chemistry goes from the music right into the matches and there's a great correlation there. I think it's, it's good for the brain. So I'm gonna have uh, Jake play music because I think it, I don't know what it does with blood flow or synapses, but I, I think it's great for cognition for, for kids. My mom's 75 or 73 and she just started playing the bass. Uh, so she's, she's learning the bass and she's playing every day and she's just having a blast. So I, I think it's just a great part of your life because I mean, we stress our bodies so much, but music you can do all day and it's not, it's not a stressful thing. So it actually relaxes you. So we, we love it. I'm so glad you mentioned the point, um, how much we are able to just unplug. And it seems like whenever we sit behind the piano or with the guitar, like you forget that you are a tennis player and you completely forget the matches and it just helps you dial it in into, into the music. And I think it's such a great tool for any young kids um, just to, have that part of their lives uh, as well. And I think, um, you know, like you guys mentioned, family with the music in the kitchen, you are such a wonderful examples that being a professional tennis player or athlete in general, you can still have um, those, you know, normal things in life. And uh, thanks for showing that, uh, how it's done the proper way. Yeah. So I do appreciate mm -hmm. it being such a wonderful ambassadors of our hey. sport. Yeah, no problem. I think yeah. it's good for all kids to, to play an instrument and a sport. You know, sport exercises the body, works on the cardio, keeps you in shape. But the music really activates that creative part of the brain. Um, and you've probably seen those studies when you're playing piano or guitar, all parts of your brain are lighting up. So it's really good for kids um, to activate those synapses, uh, especially when you're young. Talking about the communication you have between yourselves, and as you mentioned, um, it transfers from music to tennis. How was it or how is it still during the tournaments for you? Because you spend so much time on the court, in the practice, in the matches. Once the, you finish with the stuff in the tournament, you go back to your hotels. Do you actually spend time as well together or you try to do your own stuff? I think we're happiest when we're together because we have such a close bond. I think twins have this unique um, closeness that normal siblings don't have. So we love spending time together. You know, when I'm doing something fun in California, I'm usually calling Bob and I want to fill him in. So it's almost like we're one soul. We're so connected that, you know, when things are going well on the court, it's like we're an unstoppable freight train and our momentum and our energy is so strong and teams can feel that. But like if I carry some baggage onto the court, it actually seeps into Bob's energy 
he can he can actually feel me so closely that if I'm a little bit negative in my personal life or something, that it actually brings him down. So, um, but I mean, I, I love for him to move out to California. I'm trying to convince him to actually get a place out here. I know, I think you have a place out here in California, but uh, we got to convince him yeah. that the West Coast is the way to go. Come on, Bob, like you haven't still figured that out? Like really? I mean, look, it's, it's West Coast. I love it. You know, I'm a California boy at heart. Um, my wife and her whole family's here in Miami. It's tough. They have cousins. Now they have a cousin on the West Coast. We'll definitely be spending summers there, get out of the heat. Um, but we, I mean, like Mike said, we're the happiest when we're together. We'd love to be jamming in the music studio our whole life, you know, playing tennis, doing, doing stuff with the families together. Talking about being together and being identical twins, have you ever used that in your advantage? Like maybe you didn't feel like, you know, doing that interview or going mm -hmm. on the date or doing that exam at school? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we don't, we didn't really switch too much in school. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we split up the homework growing up. You know, I would do the math and the English. I'd usually do both subjects. <laughs> no, no, no. Which is I was the math guy. So, but yeah, I mean, the same thing with work, emails, you know, you respond to this. We can split it up, which is, it's good to have, you know, personal secretary, uh, Mike's yeah. assistant. Yeah, but I think we're, we're always a package deal. People view us as kind of one entity. So when, when Bob was doing well in singles, they're like, great job, guys. And I felt like I was taking credit. And I think in, in 2018, when I was winning a few tournaments without him when he was having hip surgery, he was kind of um, taking some pride. Okay, the Bryans are, are doing it. So people kind of view us as one. Um, so we got to maybe develop that, that our own identity moving forward. But whatever, we, we like to roll with it. All right. Well, let's shed a little bit about Roland Garros. What is the thing that you most miss the most about not being in Paris at the moment? Well, Paris is just a, a great place. We stay near the Champs Elysees, you know, in a in a small Paris apartment. We walk the streets. We go to the bakeries. We obviously love the croissants. We're gluten free now, but you can find the gluten free uh, croissant. It's where my wife and I fell in love. Uh, we went biking. We had so many great meals. We walked down the river there. Uh, so great memories there. It's our first Grand Slam win. Um, we kind of have this big monkey on our back. We've been playing on the tour for five years. Frustration had been building. And then it all came together in, in the two-week, kind of a beautiful run for us, which gave us confidence to go on and have a great career. Um, the Jensen's won it in 1993. We looked up to them. We thought they were the, the coolest guys out there. Um, they kind of inspired us as well as Ricky Leach and some other American doubles players to play doubles. Um, then, yeah, we won an 03 10 years later, uh, which launched us. So awesome memories from Paris. It's actually been our toughest Grand Slam to win, even though it was our first. Um, we've had many a sticky match there. We've had awesome results, but not always we've gotten over the finish line uh, as victors. It's, it's really uh, it's an equalizing surface. And a lot of the great singles players can play really good doubles on clay because it slows it down. And their ground strokes are very dangerous, as you know, um, on a slower surface. So um, we've lost a lot of tight matches there, but we've had a lot of um, beautiful moments. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're missing being in Roland Garros right now, obviously. Uh, the amazing improvements last year kind of blew our mind, how they expanded the grounds, added stadium, and 
added kind of an underground city under the whole site. And um, I think they kind of improved their facility more than any other Grand Slam. Um, you know, the practice facility at John Blonde is just, it's just beautiful. Um, so it, it's so cool. Uh, Bob stayed there last year, last year we had bikes, we're riding around. I think we had those little segways. Um, it, it's a really fun, uh, time. Uh, so we're really missing, hopefully we can come back in September. Um, uh, if we're still playing, I got to talk to Bob. He still wants to play here, but, um, yeah, we're, we'd love to come back one last time. Um, talking about playing on clay, how much over the years you felt like you had to adjust the game for this surface or you were not really concerned about that and you just went for the usual being aggressive and all that? Well, as a team, we love clay. It's easy on the body. You can practice six hours a day, not be sore. And for us, we liked it because we, could, we felt like we couldn't get served off the court. We felt like we'd get into the point and use our skills. We like our ground strokes. We like our variety. Mike's got a great drop shot volley. Um, so we had very consistent results on clay um, just because we felt like we couldn't get served off the court by, you know, a 6-6 European guy who could come in and hit aces. We felt like we could get in the point and use our skills. Um, but like I said, a lot of teams – that aren't necessarily great grass quarters or hard quarters are good clay court players because they have the huge forehand, because they move well. Clay court points and doubles are a lot longer than, than the fast court surfaces. So um, there were a lot more dangerous teams and the French Open doubles draw always had the most upsets. As you know, Danny, like you could lose 14 of the 16 seeds in the first two rounds. Yep. So you had a lot of weird winners. You know, you had Melise Rokas, super talented team. They had never done anything. They won the French. You had mm -hmm. Cuevas and Horna, who beat us in the quarterfinals. They never did anything, but they won the French. So mm -hmm. um, a, lot of, a lot of weird champions, but deserving champions because they have those other skills. Yeah, it, it is a neutralizer. We like to think we're kind of a wallet net, but you can stick a volley deep and then the, the clay slows it down. And then uh, top singles players waiting with a big forehand, and they have a lot of options from the ground. They can lob you, they can dip you. So you have to use more variety, as Bob said. You have to use the drop volley. You have to actually, we try to expose a bad volleyer, like at net. We feel like if we return up the line and then we kind of attack the net guy and not get into these long baseline rallies with the top singles player, that's our, you know, our best advantage. But as Bob said, we've struggled a little bit. You know, we've, I think we've, Lost a few finals where we've been up a, a break in the third and five, tough. <laughs> five finals. We lost five finals. And so um, even though we love we love the dirt, it's harder to actually serve out a match when the nerves go and you miss a couple first serves and then you're digging out half volleys at your feet and then they're setting up with, you know, ground strokes. So it, it is it has been the toughest one on us, but we still like to get dirty. <laughs> well, it's such a great point you make, and I never thought about it, but it's so true that probably the most unpredictable winners in slams is always yeah. come doubles and mixed doubles in Roland Garros. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We played, um, we played Horna and uh, who about it? it was Horna and who? It was Quavos. We played them, and it was raining, so it slowed down. And they were ripping ground strokes. I think we were the only match on the court still playing, and everyone cleared off because they went inside. And we're like, let's finish this thing. And 
they just had too much uh, ziz on the ball, and we ended up losing six in the third. They went on to win the title. Uh, so, but they didn't win too many tournaments after that. So they're kind of like a one-hit wonder. But that's what happens at the French, you know. Like weird things happen when you know the ball is slower and yeah. guys can use their their grasp skills. quickly because uh i would not have a clue because i never really practice it but if you can tell our listeners some quick tips how to become a good doubles player what it would be well you know luckily we complement each other really well um i've been known to have a little bit bigger serve and i hold serve more more often mike mike doesn't want to admit it um, i agree, I agree. And mike, <laughs> mike's a great mike's a great returner so he he keeps us in the return games, you know, especially in a three all format. Sometimes I don't win a point on return and we break. Uh, so we have this compliment, you know, big serve, good return. Um, we're lefty righty team, which is great. You know, we don't have to serve in the sun. We can use the cross breeze to our advantage. But as far as a tip, I mean, as you guys know, I think first serve percentage is a lot more valuable in doubles. Uh, we've we've tracked our matches, and when we're winning big tournaments or we're winning slams, we're serving about 75%. Um, if you miss a first serve in doubles, you get really hurt. Um, if you win half of those points on your second serve, you're doing amazing because with the rackets, the technology, the spin, the great returning, it's hard to dig out a first volley and win that point. So you want to make a lot of first serves. So we're using a lot of body serves. Um, it's taking out the wide uh, errors. So we're going into the tight to the body, which, which handcuffs singles players, and they're not used to the body serve. And it's very hard when you're handcuffed to get the ball cross court out of the middle. So we're using that a lot. And I think as you've seen the game um, evolve over the years, players are getting very close to the net now. Um, they're using the geometry to their advantage. It's a lot easier to hit a volley when you're when you're three inches from the net than when you're at the service line. So players are playing I formation. We don't love that formation. We're traditional doubles team, but it's evolved into an I formation, very disruptive formations. And there's a lot more strategy um, than there was probably 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like uh, the game's evolved. And I think we were the first team to really kind of attack the net and get all over the net and get close and, and put volleys away and play that power game. And now I think everyone's caught up to us and everyone's really tight and they're playing that I formation. So I think you've got to work on your up the line return and you got to be aggressive with the, with the return. If you can hit the alley on the return, it's usually good. That will beat an eye. Um, and then you, I think you have to lob now because guys are so close that you have to keep them honest. You have to keep, keep them on their back foot. So I never used a chip lob return in my whole life until a couple of years ago. And uh, there's been tournaments where I use it half the time because it works. You know, it, if you can chip it over there, then you can neutralize the point instead of having someone put a volley away. So that's good. Uh, I also recommend, you know, you, you got to poach. You got to be aggressive, as you know. I think Bob's one of the, the big poachers of the game. And on the big points... He flies across the middle and he kind of like 
looks for the ball. You know, you can't be scared scared of the ball. You actually got to go after it and be aggressive in doubles. I think it's such a great point you make about the first serve percentage because that's that's just huge, especially on clay and doubles. And yes. I think just a, it's a different conversation between uh, men's doubles and women's doubles because women's doubles, the idea is, okay, doesn't matter where you're going to hit the serve, just hit it over the net and make sure it's a first serve in because yeah. otherwise you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot more free points in the men's game on the serve. Um, so big serves actually do matter, especially at Wimbledon. Um, I've had some good, good years where I haven't lost serve at Wimbledon just because I have the lefty, lefty cutter. Um, I can use the wide one. A lot of players aren't used to seeing that spin, but yeah, I mean, the men's game starting to look more like the women's game. Um, on the WTA, you know, a lot of the girls serve and stay back and that's been transitioning to the men's game as well. You know, you have... I would say half the guys are, are hitting a, a big serve, but staying back and using their forehand. Mm. Um, they don't need the volley anymore um, because their forehands is almost as big as a serve. Mm. So yeah. I, I think there's some ex exciting contrasts in doubles right now, because you still have some of the double specialists that are beating you with cutting you up. And then you have the big artillery from Zarevs and the big singles player. So it's, it's fun. It's fun to watch, I think, for the fans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the technology of the game is increased so much that the return is is so aggressive, and there's so much spin on the return. And so, yeah, these guys are getting the return down. They're firing at your feet. So the best option. I mean, Bob's doing it a lot now in the ad court where he serves and then waits for a forehand, and and he can be aggressive and try to get in then. But sometimes it's not the best option serving balling anymore. It's it's just the game's improved, the technology, the strings, whatever it is. It's just um, not the best <laughs> option. <laughs> um, let's talk about the mixed doubles here for a little bit. And I have a question. Yeah. You won 11 Grand Slam titles altogether combined. You never played with me. I never got asked. I got well, beat by you a lot, though. I remember <laughs> yeah. uh, my first I Grand Slam final was against you. I think you're probably 17 and you're playing with Leo Spriedel. And, oh yes, that's and right. And that was uh, at Wimbledon, and I'm like, all right, I've never heard of this girl. I've never, you know, really heard of Leo Friedel. I'm like, we got this thing. This is going to be our first Grand Slam. I was playing with Liesel Huber, and I'm like, damn, this girl's got some talent. And you just you took over. Usually, it comes down to the girl, and I think you are just rock solid, making every return. Um, and you, you blew my mind. Uh, it seems like uh, I was never good enough for you two. Like we never no, no, ever no. Went to play over the years. We we would have jumped at an opportunity to play with you. You were oh, all come on, don't say that now. I felt like I I was never good enough. Literally, you won the career Grand Slam in the mixed. We both came up one short. We never won the Aussie. We just retired from the Australian Open. We'll never have a chance to do it. <laughs> if you would have asked us, we would have played for sure. Um, but. We Are you never, telling me this now? We never I think really I planned, just for that. We never <laughs> planned out our mixed um, kind of year. We would show up, you know, grab someone last minute. Um, you know, I know a lot of players are are locked and loaded. They have a partner for the whole year. We never really, we never really did that. Um, and then later in our career, we stopped playing um, as the body started to ache a little more. We uh, we wanted to rest for the doubles, but 
mix. We had some a lot of fun times over the years. I got to play with Martina when she was 49 years old in her last Grand Slam. Um, and then our first Grand Slam final was against each other in the O2 U.S. Open. Mike and Lisa Raymond beat me in Chabotnik. That was our first taste of a Grand Slam final, which I felt helped us tremendously going into our doubles finals. We got to see it from a mixed doubles point of view first. How, yeah. how weird must that have been? Was that the only time you played against each other? No, no, no. We played in a, I think it was a 2008 Wimbledon final. It was, we were scheduled after Federer and Nadal. And that was that epic final that went into the darkness. They ended up switching us to court one. We played with zero people in the crowd, just the ushers. And we heard the stadium court was erupting. The most dramatic match ever. And then they finished their final in darkness. And we were just starting the second set. We couldn't see the ball. Um, but because Mike and I, we were on the same flight the next day, we're like, hey, man, let's, let's get this done. You know, at the time, we're sharing our money. So we're like, everyone's a winner here. Let's just play. And, and we, we went for it. And they couldn't return. We were up a break. So me and Stozer won. And then as kind of karma, I, I raised the trophy up up and the lid came off the trophy and hit me on the head <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. laugh but uh it was it was weird but it was always kind of a happy moment for us uh to be in the finals together we're like hey one brian's gonna win this title you know everyone's a winner here yeah it was it was, it was fun i mean bob bob was a really dominant mixed player because he just went full 100 percent uh, usually the girl, he would still, I mean, he served 140 and um, he didn't mind, he didn't mind bringing in hot into the body and he didn't take anything off. And so, uh, you were, I was very respectful. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would never go for the, for the body. I would, I would, you know, I'd go around them, but hard. <laughs> You're brutal. <laughs> Guys, now I know you've said um, this was going to be your uh, last season. Um, did plans change because of everything? Maybe. Uh, it's not off the table that we, we could come back. We got to see how we're, we're feeling. Um, you know, like the, right now, the, the bodies and the minds feel really fresh. We feel like we would maybe have enough in the tank to go and play another year. Um, we had a great start to the year. We felt like we, we got to say some goodbyes. And it was fun playing again on, on tour because we didn't play since the U.S. Open. Um, we would love to play, you know, the French one last time, when, you know, Wimbledon in the U.S. Open. But it, it, it might not be in the cards. Uh, you know, life never has a perfect script, you know. So we just got to talk about it, you know, and see where we're at. You know, we're still waiting on the U.S. Open right now. If that happens uh, at the end of August, you know, that could be our, our farewell. Just uh, going to reevaluate, you know, at you know, when we hear the news. Yeah, I mean, look, we got we got World Team Tennis has actually just announced, you know, 10 minutes ago that they're going to have a season. So that's going to be at the Greenbrier in West Virginia. They're going to have all the teams. I think there's nine teams. They're going to come together in one city. So we're going to play three weeks um, during that, which is going to, I think, you played, I think you played team tennis, right? Is that correct? Yeah, we I think they're on the same team. Of course. <laughs> we played together. I think it's great for dealing with pressure. It's great for 
for working on the game and it's a good uh, springboard to the summer. So if there is a U.S. Open, I think that the world team tennis season will help us get back up to speed because during quarantine, I think everyone's gotten a little soft um, during quarantine. We haven't hit the most balls. We've been working out, but uh, been playing more music than tennis. But this will give us a like a goal to, to start working towards because as athletes, it's nice to have goals. We've always had goals. This is this is the one time in our life that we really haven't had anything on the horizon. Yeah, talking about being sharp and having goals, I think that's what World Team Tennis does to you because it's so intense. Yeah. And I think it was also the time that actually I saw you guys for the very first time doing all your doubles drills. And I just, I was blown away. And I had right away 100 times more appreciation how much effort you put in. And those drills, I mean, when the coach was yeah. like hitting the ball <laughs> as fast as possible, like straight into your face. I was like, there is no way I could last two seconds of that. Yeah, they, they <laughs> keep it sharp. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Talking about uh, being sharp and disciplined, it's something that I've been asking all my guests. Um, how do, important do you think having the routines, having the discipline that as a tennis players, when we put mind into something, we saw it with both of you in the kitchen, with the music, with the sports, what kind of message would you have for people listening to us and how important that is during these times to get through? Yeah, I think when we put our minds to something, we really go after it 100%. And you need daily routines and habits. And, you know, when we have goals, when you, when you can see those goals off in the future, it actually gets you out of bed, gets you going. So, you know, like this morning, I've already gone to the gym. I know Team Tennis is going to ha happen. So I, have, I love my morning routine. I think, you know, I do this before everyone gets out of bed, before the baby wakes up. You know, I, I do my, you know, hour in the gym, you know, I take care of the body, you know, I, I can do a meditation, you know, so I, I think, you know, we've learned these skills as being professional athletes. And the only way to be successful is to take care of all the details. And I think the best players are, you know, thinking about those details all during the day, you know, they're worrying about their, their sleep, what they're eating. It's a, almost a 24 hour a day job. So just putting your mind to something going hundred percent, but you got to take action. You know, it's, it's actually, sometimes you're not feeling like you, you should go to the gym or you, you want to go, but you actually got to get your ass out of bed and, and go for it, you know, and yeah. that comes down to self-motivation. I think, I think as parents, you can instill that in your kids, you know, make sure they're writing down their goals on January 1st, you know, write down your short-term goals, write down your long-term goals. We've always had our best results when we have um, written those down and we are checking up on them, you know, once a month to see where we are in our progress. Um, luckily, we have the little voice in our head. You have the little voice in your head that says, hey, we got to do this. You know, it's, it's very hard if you're needing to be motivated by a parent or by a coach. You do have to have the self-motivation to become great at something. That's where the love comes into play. You know, you fell in love with tennis. We fell in love with tennis. We like doing it. We like traveling. We like practicing. You know, this wasn't work for us. This, this was easy. So if it feels like work at a young age when you're eight years old, I don't think you have a future in tennis because you do have to be drawn to towards the practice. That, that's what it is. I think Novak and Roger and Rafa, they've practiced more than everyone, you know? They've, they've put in, they've probably put in more hours. They're not just given this 
God-given talent. Um, it is the work. It is the practice. Yeah, and uh, I think there's always obstacles. You know, like it's not a straight shot up to the top. There's going to be struggle. It's how you really perceive those obstacles. I mean, we've had more setbacks than I can even count. We've lost more matches than most pros have even played. And so, you know, usually the, the darkest hour is just before dawn. You know, some of our, our highest moments have come right after some of our biggest defeats. So it's how you handle defeat. You can't be afraid to fail and lose. You know, it's usually fuel for the fire. You know, when we've lost a tough match, we're usually up the next day and we're using it as motivation. We're, okay, this is what we need to do better. So, yeah, you just have to, you know, see it as a journey. And yeah, as Bob said, it's, it's got to be fun. It's got to be something you, you really love doing. You can't force it, you know. So, yeah, that's, that's our, our Tuesday motivation. All right. Well, final question, guys. Uh, tell me what has been the reason that you've been able to do this for such a long time and being such an unbelievable ambassadors for our game? Is it the love for it or the discipline we talked about? You tell me. I think it's, I um, say, uh, yeah, go ahead, Bob. I think it's been doing it together. Um, I, I do not think we would have had a 23 year career if we weren't doing it as brothers, as a team. Uh, we're just stronger together. We have more fun together. Uh, it's been great to share all these experiences together and we'll have stories for the rest of our life. Um, if we've done it alone, I think it would have been lonely and uh, we probably would have burnt out. So the love with the game that my parents instilled, um, the support system that we have, you know, my dad sending an email and a text message to us every time we win or lose, you know, my wife being there to help out with three kids while we travel. Uh, Mike's had amazing support with Nadia. Um, so it, it is a huge team effort. And in our case, you know, it's having Mike there on the court with me. That, that's been a big help. Yeah, and, and we've pushed each other. We're, we're competitors, and uh, I've kept him, you know, working hard. He's kept me, you know, whenever I've started to play a little better, he's always wanted to catch up. So we've, um, it's been great. We've kept improving since we joined the tour. Um, the game has improved so much, and I felt like we've uh, kept up to par. And that's just from, you know, we just really hate to lose. We love to compete. So that's the, the number one thing we're going to miss is that adrenaline rush and um, doing it together, competing together. Maybe we'll find it in something else. We'd love to find something else we really love. It could be working with you on Eurosport. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely going to miss this time, you know, spinning together day in and day out. But uh, it, was, it was a good ride. Well, whatever you decide to do, I hope, It's involved with tennis because you've done so much for our game. It's been such a privilege to play against you, to watch you, to be with you on the teams. So thank you so much personally for that. And uh, Mike, I hope to see you here in Slovakia very soon. Bob, I hope that you're going to make it eventually at some point as well. I so will. Show you around and we can spend 100%. some nice, nice time here as well. Yeah. yeah well, thanks for everything, Danny. Thanks for uh, having us on. And You know, obviously we've we've looked up to you and respected you um, as colleagues and now with what you're you're doing off the court. So thanks for everything. Thank you so much. And I hope that uh, one day we can be on the same team and maybe do some of this stuff together because you will be amazing in that as well. Right. So 
Thank you so okay. much. Thanks, Danny. Right, see Bye, you. Danny. Hi there. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Real DNA podcast. Don't forget to subscribe either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 